welcome to the Play Practice Formula Podcast. I'm your host, BJ Mumford, owner of Play Practice Basketball and the Seacoast Hoops Lab based in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. I'm excited to launch this podcast as a platform to share my thoughts, ideas, and frameworks for helping your youth basketball player transform from uncertain participant to decisive competitor. We get results in as little as 30 minutes with our target age group of 10 to 14 year olds that want to play high school basketball. Ingredient number two, peaceful, not punishment. Somehow the standard for coaching somewhere in the last 100 years became to point out mistakes, punish mistakes, make players live in fear of making mistakes, and yet expect those players to keep taking the risks they need to learn, develop, and progress. Correcting player errors by pointing out mistakes and punishing them has become a big core concept of all coaching all the time down to the very youngest ages in the youth sports world. And going back a hundred years, it was really not the case. Like when, uh, when James Naismith invented basketball, I'm pretty sure he was not yelling at them to use the peach basket correctly. They were learning how to play a game. And we can really trace the, the militaristic approach, is what I've come to call it, back to Adolf Rupp with Kentucky. He was a military man, and coming out of the military, became a coach at the University of Kentucky as a college. And if we trace the, the family tree from there, that approach, it was really him initiating that. And having success, I think, with that, really became correlated with like this is the only way to get success like you have to drill your men in military style and make sure they are following your instructions to the t as if we're on a battlefield with a big hierarchy uh like a military and you have to punish them and basically beat them into submission so that they will perform at their best and that is the way to achieve success in sport competition and if we trace from that point to, it's really only two generations. We had Pat Riley, who's famous coach, now part owner of the Miami Heat. And he was a assistant coach. He was a player first, an assistant coach for Adolph Rupp. And now, you know, everybody that has coached under Pat Riley has really come to the modern day coaching tree. So just about all the NBA coaches right now, came through Pat Riley or the equivalent. I'm not clear on the entire list of players and coaches that played under Adolf Rupp or who played and coached under Pat Riley, but you can really see that family tree as the model, and that kind of became the standard. I think the the uh, most drastic example of that style is Bob Knight when he was at Indiana and screaming and throwing chairs and like, having a hissy fit all the time, uh, a lot of it directed at his players, and everybody applauded that. Like, he had a lot of success winning games, but, you know, the uh, the side effects of all that behavior and that whole approach is now trickling down to third graders in recreational basketball, and coaches are having the same approach that they see at the high school and at the college level and they think screaming at players is absolutely the best thing in the world for those players. And, you know, there's 
a lot of cliche terms that are thrown around to kind of cover that and make it a positive, like accountability. Like I'm holding my players accountable by having them run wind sprints every time they miss a layup. And there's all kinds of nonsense around there. It was very interesting for me to learn uh, from one of my mentors, Noah LaRoche, originally kind of brought up this idea of that family tree and how how much of that style of basketball really came out of, you know, one guy, essentially. The Adam of basketball militaristic style coaching was Adolf Rupp. And, you know, really what we've learned from psychology and behavior and even parenting approach is that actual learning is always taking place under positive reinforcement conditions. And with the freedom to explore and experiment and very little consequences for any errors, any mistakes that are made during that exploration, that's really where learning accelerates the most. And so when coaches are, you know, punishing mistakes in practice, like, you know, I was uh, joking with a, uh, a co-worker yesterday about the, uh, there's a show called Shit's Creek, if uh, any of you parents have watched it, it's uh, pretty hilarious, but there's a, a really specific scene where the the mother and the adult son are cooking together and the mother is reading this French recipe and it says, you know, one of the instructions is folded in and her son David is the one like stirring the bowl and he's like, what does that mean? And instead of, you know, describing it, because she clearly doesn't know at this point what that means specifically, instead of describing or giving him steps or instructions, she just keeps repeating it. Just fold it in, David. Just fold it in. Like, fold it in. And he's just like, what the hell do you mean? I have no idea what to do. And I often think of players, you know, kind of in that mode of like, what do you mean? Like, box out. Box out. Box out. Like, I've never been taught what box out is or how exactly to do it or what my feet do or what the strategy is behind this. Like, I'm just being yelled at this term that means nothing. And, you know, it's like box out and you failed to box out, so we're going to run sprints. Or it's like make a layup, make a layup, finish. And because you missed the layup, we're going to run sprints. Or, you know, you're going to miss practice or whatever it is. You're going to miss, you know, you're going to sit out of the game because you can't make layups. And, um, you know, all kinds of things that are around that, that, uh, you know, it's really just uh, puts the player in a terrible situation, right? They have, they have no room to explore. They are being punished for any risks they take that result in mistakes. And really what results is what I call avoidance behavior. You know, the outcome I most commonly see is players will hot potato defer to other players on their team. They will completely pass up any opportunity they have to attack. And they will even forgo a wide open shot because they fear missing the shot or, you know, God forbid, shooting an air ball with everybody watching. And they know that the coach is sitting there watching for them to make a mistake and they're going to be subbed out, you know, 10 seconds later if they have a turnover or, you know, they airball a shot. Like the uh, the coaching tolerance for mistakes to happen in the chaos of basketball where, it's kind of the game of a thousand mistakes, you know. I used to have a coach that uh, called it chess at a thousand miles an hour. Like, there is a lot going on and mistakes are pretty normal. It's kind of like the uh, the idea of a batting average. Like, if you're successful 30% of the time in basketball, you're doing pretty good because 
70% of the time, things are a mess and, you know, people drop passes and miss shots and all kinds of stuff's going to go on. And so for the, for the coach to not have any tolerance for mistakes to happen, you know, in games is one thing, but even in practice means the players are constantly learning to not do anything outside their comfort zone that might result in a mistake. And their scope of capability is getting crushed down to, I can hold the ball and wait for someone else to save me from the ball so that I don't make any mistakes. That way I get to keep playing in the game. Like I'm not playing because I'm so afraid of mistakes, but I'm in the game, which is what I want. So I'm going to avoid everything else in the hope that I get to keep playing on the court. And I, like, I'm just going to give the ball to the guy that is taking a thousand mistakes and hucking up shots, but you know, he's somehow has a shield up and doesn't care about, you know, the coach's perspective on mistakes. He's just going for it. And eventually that player that is taking action and making mistakes and improving, he is the one that the coach does actually like because he's making stuff happen. But the coach doesn't realize that that's like a 20% of the team type of player. The other 80% are all incredibly inhibited from doing anything that would actually help the team because they're so afraid of the consequences of making a mistake. Um, so I look at it as the, the successful players are succeeding in spite of their coaches in that case, right? Coaches punishing mistakes, punishing mistakes in practice, subbing out in games, all that's going on. 80% of the players are completely inhibited. The 20% are succeeding in spite of what the coach is doing. So what we do, what we call peaceful coaching, which I'm really starting to talk about in three words of peaceful precision, uh, peaceful positive precision coaching, uh, which you know has some more significance behind it. We're actually going to do a couple more episodes on each of those words, but really we could say it's modeled after peaceful parenting. We are trying to find where the player is. We just talked about player centered in our last episode and we're trying to come down to be their guide by the side. It's one of the favorite uh, phrases I've learned. Uh, we're trying to be their support partner. We're trying to come down to the level they're at wherever they are and provide a peaceful, positive precision coaching approach. That's going to just help them take their very next, very small step forward so that eventually they are on the path of progression. And, you know, unlike that coach that's punishing mistakes, where they might not have a good grasp of where that player is and what they need, and they usually don't know what the player's dream is for where they're going, and then they certainly don't know how to connect those two. And so that's really where we have success with the player-centered and with this peaceful positive precision approach is that we spend a lot of time discovering it. Where is this player at? What have they done so far in basketball? You know, evaluation of their skill. We're just rolling out our, uh, our evaluation system that we call SOCKS as an acronym for uh, system for objective classification of knowledge and skill. And we're using that to pinpoint where a player is, you know, this is where you're at. We're giving a, a color coded, um, sock as part of this, similar to the martial arts approach with the belt colors, like karate black belt would be the ultimate objective for a karate 
athlete. We're looking at black socks as the highest level of our skill and knowledge base. And we're trying to help evaluate players based on that because, you know, age and grade level is a terrible predictor of basketball skill. And so what we're doing is pinpointing where the player is starting from. And then we're having a lot of conversation with parents and players about where they're going. Like some players are just trying to get their next tryout to go well so they get on a team and get to keep playing. Some players are, I'm going to be the next standout for the Celtics. You know, I'm going to the NBA. A lot of players are, I want to play varsity high school basketball. And, you know, I'm six years away from that. I want to get started on the progression that's going to get me there. So we try to get very specific with where they are and where they are going. And then, you know, we know probably more about the specific skills and the specific steps and the order of progression of those steps than any other program in the world about how to get a player from where they are to where they're going. And typically we start with the very foundational layer and we put even the most advanced player through the same progression, they're just able to move faster. If they're already fairly competent at a skill, instead of spending the same amount of time on a basic skill as we would as a beginner, we're going to do the basic skill, but the advanced player might only do three reps of it and we're moving on very quickly. Whereas a beginner player, like we might find that one skill and we might spend 10 to 15 to 20 reps to just master that first foundational layer of a basic skill. And then, you know, what we have available to us with our approach of really precise body mechanical movements and precise instructions and feedback is the ability to zoom in as much as possible. You know, so I'm really working with our coaching staff all the time. Like, all right, here's the big skill. We're going to present it to the player, let them attempt it, and we're going to demonstrate it. And then we're going to watch for, you know, where the fail points are. We're going to zoom in to give them more and more specific detailed instructions on how to make that skill work really, really well. And taking that approach, knowing where they are starting from, knowing where they're going and having the capability to get as specific, as detailed as necessary for the player to understand and master that piece of a skill, you know, it really almost forces us to take a peaceful approach because if we're going to be getting really detailed and we're going to be understanding the player, like we can't be yelling at them that they're failing at making a layup when, you know, they've only played one year of basketball. They don't even know what a layup is necessarily. And we know they want to become a middle school player and, you know, yelling at them, making them feel defeated now is really going to inhibit them from reaching their goal. So, In the end, a lot of what we do is just about achieving results. Uh, We have completely gone away from, you know, counting hours where most training programs live and where even most players and parents are commonly thinking about basketball training is like, you know, how many hours on the court am I getting for my dollar? And really what we've transformed to is how big of a permanent result are we getting for your dollar and for your court time? You know, we tend to take the espresso versus gallon of coffee approach in that we're doing only a 30-minute session if we're in a one-on-one individual training mode with a player. And that's intentionally to go 
super specific in a super short time and master a single piece or two of a skill set that the player really needs. And so that ability to zoom in and be really specific is really conducive to the peaceful approach because we can't yell at players for things that they don't know, that we have not taught them. Despite what we see from other coaches uh, commonly doing that, you know, assuming a knowledge level that the player doesn't have and punishing them for not being able to execute on that is a terrible approach for anyone to learn anything. And so this specificity, the precision and concise instructions and precision feedback that we have really is conducive to having the peaceful approach. And when we take that peaceful approach and make it okay to make mistakes, suddenly the player starts to really blossom in their ability to try new things and attempt what we've worked on in practice and attempt things in a game over time. And the uh, the real outcome that we see a lot is their confidence is greatly increased. Instead of being inhibited and, you know, hunkering down in their shell to avoid mistakes that they're going to be punished for, they're suddenly looking and exploring and attempting things that they probably would have never tried before. And, you know, over time, that starts to actually transform into a game skill that they're actually executing in a game and having a high success with. And I guess that's the ultimate reward for me. If we can get the, uh, get the peaceful coaching approach to really give them an on-ramp to confidence, then getting them to the point where they're performing in games and succeeding and, you know, feeling good about themselves and having, you know, actual game stats to prove the difference that they've had in their game. That's really, uh, that's really what we're after producing results that stick and translate to game performance. Reach out to us at info at playpracticebasketball.com or you can give us a call at 603-932-5893. That's it. I'll see you on the court.